0: turn back then, as the Lord will help us to consider words in the chapter we read in Romans chapter 4. I don't often actually in my own congregation give titles to sermons. I often intend to in preparing them, but never seem to get round to it. And when I try, I often find that I don't quite get a title that I feel captures and fits what I want to see and I confess it for this evening not just one but two possible titles uh, came to mind the first was a divine description of blessedness and the second option and the one that I've actually stuck with is where have your sins gone where have your sins gone? And the reason I want to stick with the second title is that I think it connects better with, I hope will be a short run of sermons, so we have at the communion season between now and the Lord's Day. Our text this evening, then, is in Romans 4, verses 6 and 7. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So then, dear soul, here tonight, here is the question that we are investigating this evening. Where have your sins gone? And you'll understand from the nature of that question that the question itself is making an assumption that your sins have in fact gone somewhere. That you are therefore not in your sins anymore. And if that is indeed true of you, and there's no wonder that David calls you blessed. Hence the original possible title of a description, a divine description of blessedness, saying blessed. David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works. It, it may be, of course, that this is a point, perhaps even the very point, that some of you here have struggled with. Maybe are struggling with right now. And that you do not have either comfort or the assurance of your sins being taken away at all. You say, this does not apply to me. Or I have no assurance and confidence that it applies to me. You may be right, of course. You may be someone who is not yet saved. I would still like you to listen to what he says about those who are. So that you can see what it is. That you are missing. And how important it is to have this blessedness. But if perhaps you are someone who is full of doubts. And has not yet come to an assurance of salvation. You may sit and say, well, I am sure that if my sins were gone, I wouldn't have then this sin in my life. How can you talk about sins being gone, and yet here there is a sin in my life, there's a trouble in my life, there's an idol in my soul. And this fear and this concern can be especially intensified in the run into a communion season. The solemnity of the table of the Lord sits before you. You anticipate it. You know what is likely to happen over the next few days. You know your own responsibility in the light of Scripture. Let a man examine himself. You know what the Bible says about eating and drinking unworthily. Or not discerning the Lord's body and the elements. Perhaps for some here. The burden is a duty to profess your faith publicly and to own what he has done for you. But you come against the hurdles of doubt. So the question then might be, how can I be sure that that my sins are gone anywhere at all? What if I am deceived by the blackness of my own heart? What if I have all these years deluded myself? I'd rather not profess open confession of Christ and shame him. Better to keep where I am. What if I'm simply not good enough? Well, friends... It has come to the word of God for our light. We will not find enlightenment for our souls and our spiritual condition anywhere out with the parameters of Scripture. The light of Scripture is always good and helpful for the soul. God did not give it to tease or to taunt or to deceive us. God gave the word in order that it would help men. Let's look at this person then. Whom David describes here as blessed. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of this man. And our first point then is the blessedness is a forgiveness. Excuse me. The blessedness is a forgiveness. The first thing that we discover about this person. Is that they are in fact. A sinner. This blessed person that David is speaking about. Is a sinner. You know the, the description that, that is here. It is. It is a work of art in scripture. It is like a beautiful. Uh, artistic master at work. The brushstrokes of the sweet psalmist of Israel. Are. Repeated here for us in Romans. And yet, the portrait that is painted is of a man who is guilty before God, a man who is worthy of death, a man who has broken the law of God all his days. How do we say that from this? Well, notice he has iniquities. Blessed are they whose iniquities. Are forgiven. Now yes they are forgiven. And we will come to that in this point. But in order for them to be forgiven. They must first be. There is no escape from that. There is no avoiding. What is the shame. Of the truth of that. If we hope to confess ourselves. Amongst the blessed We must first confess ourselves amongst the broken and the sinful and the guilty. And maybe as you anticipate the direction of a service like this on a Friday night, you can say, I can see where you're going with this and I don't want to go there. I can't get to that blessed position. Well, friend, will you not come to this first run of the ladder with me together? Can you at least come this far, troubled soul? Can you not confess yourself? As amongst the broken and the bruised and the guilty and the corrupt. Can you not find yourself there? If you are feared to go further. Can you not come that far? In agreeing with what the text of scripture says. The iniquities. All oh, the iniquities of the soul. You may be very wary. Of walking in as it were the gate. The gateway of the blessed. You might struggle to see yourself in any way as one of the Lord's favoured, favorite jewels. But can you see yourself as a man or a woman or a boy or a girl with iniquities? Can you see that? With iniquities. It's a plural. It's not just one, not just two, not a trifling small matter. There are many. There's a plurality. Here, because there are so many that you cannot count them. It's unspecified, but a great number. This man is grappling with his iniquities. You know how Satan is called the enemy of your soul in the Bible. And an enemy he truly is. He is cruel. He is ravaging and rampaging seeking whom he may devour if it were possible he would deceive even the very elect you know what he does before there's any grace dawning in your soul what does this enemy of your soul do he sneers at the idea that you're guilty he sneers at the thought that you're going to get troubled by a few harmless sins and worldly pleasures he compares you to all the rest of the world and says, you're fine. There's no trouble. Don't trouble yourself. He denies virtually of anything to confess, anything you to be ashamed of, anything that should convict you. But when the stirrings of conviction come, when the law with power comes, when the striving of the spirit begins in the soul, Satan is utterly two-faced. He changes his tactic, like the wind changes direction, and he changes them completely. And suddenly, is no longer denying that you have any sin to be worried about. He's pointing at your sins. He is magnifying your sins. He is dancing upon your iniquities and your greatest shames. He is highlighting them with the greatest. Sneer in mocking the light of hell, and to say, "Ah, see these sins. There is no way that you'll ever get grace. There's no way that these sins can ever be forgiven. There's no way such a sinner as you should have the least chance of hope in heaven. He's an enemy. But also he's a liar. David disagrees and Paul quoting David disagrees but most importantly right under the inspiration of the spirit God disagrees and counters this falsehood head on and says blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven it doesn't say the blessed are those who have none they've got nothing to worry about Is they have iniquities. They have many iniquities. Fearful iniquities. And yet they're blessed. Because they're forgiven. The blessedness that David describes is first of all a forgiveness of sin. Where are your sins gone is our question. They're forgiven. That's where they've gone. There is forgiveness with God that he may be feared. There is hope. For the lost and these sins that snare you, they can be washed away. This guilt that clings to you can be removed from you. Think of the words of Psalm 103 as we sang them. As far as east is distant from the west, so far hath he removed from us in his love all our iniquity. This is the forgiveness of God. God's forgiveness is a sin-seeing forgiveness. He sees our sins. He knows about our guilt. And then he pardons us for these sins. And then he removes that guilt. Forgiveness is not sort of hoodwinking the Almighty. It's not hiding from God what we really are so that he'll think well of us. It is not ignorance on God's part of just how bad we are and so he forgives us thinking we're better than we actually are. It is the opposite. Forgiveness, real forgiveness depends upon God knowing and seeing all the sins of your heart. Knowing exactly what we are. Only then can we know that he knows how much there is to forgive. And have confidence that he has forgiven all. This is the blessing. God takes away the sentence of condemnation. God sees the guilt and the sin, but he refuses to treat us according to that corruption. He doesn't deny it. His word asserts it. Yet he forgives us. He says, I'm not going to damn them. I'm not going to condemn them. I'm going to forgive them. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing, forgiveness. It's a glorious thing. God expressly removes the sentence of damnation against the guilty. We were the children of wrath, even as others. And now we're forgiven children of God. That's the forgiveness of God. And the word here is a wonderful word. The word for forgiveness chosen here means to send away. It means to send away. God sends away our sins. God banishes our sins from his presence, God removes them. The we a noble king might see a poor subject come before him, and the man's got a stinking, filthy robe upon him, and the king says, Take that off him and put it away. This is the first part of our blessedness, friends. What God sends away our sins. To know this blessedness, we do not need to count ourselves free of sins. We only need to believe that God pardons sin. God can forgive. God's forgiveness is a wonderful forgiveness, because it's a better forgiveness than your own forgiveness, or my forgiveness, or anyone else's forgiveness. God can forgive us. Even for things that we cannot forgive ourselves for. (coughs) Consider this. God sends away. Our sins. Not ourselves. We are not sent away. We deserve to be. But he sends away our sins. We might expect that we would be the ones banished. That we will be refused entry ever to see his face again. But no. He banishes not us but our sins. Our iniquities not our persons. And so you stand before the Lord. And he has stripped you bare of all your sins. Like the autumn leaves of a tree. As they blown away by the winter storm. The tree is stripped bare. The brown, decaying leaves are blown clean away. This is what God says about you, poor, broken, believing sinner here tonight. He says, I have put away your, for, your sin, and I have forgiven you all your iniquities. It's not just in Romans either, or just in the Psalm. Isaiah has it. He has cast your sins behind his back. Micah has it. They are cast into the depths of the sea. There is a blessedness here. The blessedness is first of all a forgiveness. But there is more. Secondly the blessedness is a covering. The iniquities are forgiven and the sins are covered. Verse 7. You see, we are not left stripped bare like the winter tree. The blessedness in stripping us of our sin and putting it away is not yet complete. There is a covering to be added, there is a provision that is given. As surely as there is a putting away, there is also a putting on, a covering. And Isaiah 61 says in verse 10 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. Jeremiah takes up the same thought in chapter 50 of his prophecy, verse 20. In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found. For I will pardon them whom I reserve. He's put them away. In this forgiveness there is not only a stripping away of your sins but a covering again of your heart a restoring of your soul the children here know the beautiful psalm the 25th psalm, uh, the 23rd psalm when it talks about the Lord restoring your soul so then you are covered what does it mean It means that you can be seen without shame in the presence of the Lord God himself Your sins are covered over. They're covered up. They're not only removed, but they're smoothed over. The damage that they've caused is is tended to. The wounds that they have inflicted are healed. The offense that they have given is gone. You see, where you have a sinner confessing their sins, and how much sin we have to confess, and how much shame of face do we have to confess them day after day, If we could consider just this iniquities of one day or one week, how much that is, how ashamed we are. And, well, we know what happens when we sin. We know what sin does to someone. We know what sin causes. We know what it pays out. The wages of sin is death. And we would look for the effect of these sins upon the sinner. We would expect so many sins confessed to have ruined the sinner. And yet no. God hath worked all things for good. Where iniquities I must confess prevail mm-hmm. against me do. But as for our transgressions and purge away for the shalt thou. Where you look for the damage of sin. The wages of sin, death even. Instead, you find life. Here's a confessed sinner, an openly avowed sinner. And where is the effect? Where is the death that ought to reign in them? And it's not death. Here's a sinner who has life. Here's a sinner. And for sin, Adam was put out of the garden and lost his relationship with God. Here's a sinner who has life and who has a restored relationship with God. You see, when you look for the corruption of sin and what you find is the restorative work of the Spirit. When you look for the degenerating spiral of sin to ever greater sin, what you are confronted with Is a radical scriptural truth that where sin abounds grace doth much more abound. Here is a confessed sinner and yet the expected effect of sin upon them is missing. Death is not in the Christian's life. I shall not die but live. In other words this pardon Free and full and just, this banishment of your sins out to the midst of the lost wilderness, it comes accompanied also not only with a banishment for your sins, but with armfuls of grace, with the sweet favours of God's love. And there, in your life as a confessed sinner, God commands, the blessing God commands, life that shall never end. This is what Jesus said. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The Lord Jesus is active in covering your sins. So that they cannot be found. So that they cannot be seen. The Lord is engaged in pardoning the sin and presenting the sinner faultless one day before his father's throne. And all the scars of sin will be gone. They will be covered. They won't be brushed under the carpet. They won't be left as skeletons in the cupboard. They will truly be covered over. Not just in a way of papering over the cracks, no. Have you ever seen a master craftsman at work? And he's working on a fine, eh, antique piece of furniture. But the piece is damaged. That's why it's been sent to him. Maybe it was in a fire. Or maybe it's been gouged, a deep gouge has been uh, accidentally driven into the polished oak of the desk. And the craftsman he goes at the grain with his tools. And at first he might seem even to be only making the gouge worse, but really is taking away all the scarred timber from that attack upon it. And he is feeding into it fresh timber of his own workmanship. And then he begins to polish it. And the French polish brings it eventually to a mirror shine. And the ruin is covered in the sense that it is gone. It can't be found. You could go with a magnifying glass to that desktop and you would not see it. In fact, the end result, everyone was confessed to, would say, you know, that desk looks better than it ever did even before it was ruined. You see, it has been restored. It has been lavished with the love and skill of the craftsman. This is the blessing of our condition under grace. We are forgiven and covered. We are lavished with the skill of the Saviour. Not only are the transgressions of our heart cast out of God's sight, but the wounds that they have made upon us, are smoothed over with the balm of Gilead and covered, so that we appear in the beauty of Christ the Son before the eyes of the Father. The expected effects of sin are missing. What is this? It is surely the righteousness of Christ applied to us. All our ill works, all our follies and flaws and filth, covered and replaced by the perfect obedience and supreme righteousness of the Saviour. This is this blessedness. It is a forgiveness and it is a covering. Thirdly though, this blessedness is a guarantee. Come now to verse 8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. This blessedness is a guarantee. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. It's quite hard to catch the strength of the emphasis of the Greek language here. He will not impute their sin. He will not. There is no way he will impute their sin. It will not be permitted. It must never happen. There's an emphasis that is beautiful and comforting. There's oil on the wounds. This is the guarantee offered by this text for you in your doubts and in your fears, dear child of God. Here is medicine for the aches of pain and doubt in your soul. Here is comfort for the plagues of fear that wash over you. This verse, he, it is the everlasting arms to ferry you forward to either a first or a further profession of faith in Christ. Come the Lord's day. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute. Sin. God will never, ever, ever impute sin to you. Where are your sins gone? They're not on you. Whatever they are, they're not on you. They're not laid to your account. He will not impute them to you. Those who are forgiven are never going to have their sins dredged up, trawled up from the depths of the sea they are never going to be flung back at them those whose sins are now covered will never have the wounds remarked and opened up once more it will never be done Are there times when you particularly fear, as it were, the idea of being fingered and sin being put back upon you? There might be fear most of all, the imputing of sin again to us. There may be different places and times, of course, but one of them might well be the sacrament. We can be afraid of the Lord's Supper in some ways. We are most frightened of the thought that perhaps as we sit at the very table of the Lord beside those who love him and profess him that in that location some sin, some transgression will be discovered And will be laid to your charge, and you will be uncovered as not being forgiven. That you will be exposed at that point as being like the man without the wedding garment. That's a fear. Not that our communion sees, I'm sure, perhaps the greatest fear of that would be at the judgment day itself. At that point, some sin, when the books are opened and every ill deed and thought is made known to all creation, who can stand if thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquity? Some sin. Seems to rise from the grave with us to condemn us. Well, friend, it is for just such fears that we have this clear and categorical guarantee He will not do that. He will not resurrect sins long since forgiven and fully covered. He will not drag them up. Or fling them at you. Satan would love to. And sometimes he is given permission. To try the Lord's people greatly in this world. But God won't do it. Would you not rather face. A thousand Sins that Satan flings at you and tries to impute to you and face God doing it once because that's the one that matters and God will never do it what does that tell you? God will never do it it tells you that your fears and your doubts as a believer cannot come from God because he will not do it he will never impute sin to you there is tremendous blessing here offered to the poor believer that the judge himself of all the earth will not raise a single transgression to your account and charge he will not relinquish even one of these transgressions that he has taken and cast away. He will not release one of them from their banishment to come and haunt you and taunt you. Come the last day, not one. And this is utterly in contrast with the, the, the cruelty, sadly, of the sad Arminian error here. They believe God may forgive you today, but accuse you tomorrow that he may cover up your wickedness now but impute them as formal charges at law tomorrow David denies it Paul denies it the spirit of God denies it he never will he will not impute sin that has once been pardoned he will not tear off the covering of grace from the scars and the wounds of sin he will not do it And this, can it not stir you, dear believer? Is there not in this a reason for you to rejoice in your heart? Are not the the dark, gloomy clouds of doubt dispelled by the rays of the Son of Righteousness who arises with healing in his wings? The blessing of Scripture assuring the Christian, God will not do it. Oh, the blessedness of the Christian! Whose transgressions and sins are forgiven and covered. Never, never, he will not, glorious never, he puts away our sins, he casts them far from us, and he never revives them again to accuse us or impute them to us. You see, he has something better to impute to us than our sins. Fourthly and finally this blessedness is a free gift. Verse 6 I want to come back to the opening text that's begun it all in verse 6 Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. David is describing the blessedness of a man what man is he describing in this way, the man to whom God imputed the righteousness without works? And what Paul is doing here, if you like, he is, he is writing an introduction to the psalmist. He, he is elaborating and, and giving a little bit of uh, stage upon which to place. The words of David in the psalm. And he adds as an opening description. Of the man whom David is about to speak about. The man whom God imputes righteousness without works. The man to whom God gives the gift of righteousness. But without it being anything to do. With what that man himself. Has worked for or earned or merited. His own efforts are not part of it. This is a gift. A gift from God that is completely free. God, in His sovereignty, gives it. This is how David describes the blessedness of the believer. He is someone who has done nothing to deserve it, nothing to merit it, and yet to this Ill undeserving, so this ill-deserving soul, God imputes righteousness. And of that soul, God reckons them and counts them to be righteous, righteous, clothed in the free righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ as a gift. Now, that's some blessedness. What blessedness do you know that can better this blessedness, friend? What blessedness can even compare with this blessedness? Unworthy souls. Justified before God. Through his son. Free. Sinners. Justified. Should be dead. Are alive. Should be filthy. And. Putrid. And they're covered. Should be living in fear one day they'll all catch up with him they've got assurance they've got the warrant of scripture they've got every reason to believe what god promises you see as surely as he promises never there is no way he will ever impute your sin to you so this too is just as certain that he does impute righteousness to you this is why your sins are gone Where are your sins gone? Why are they gone? Because they've been replaced with something better. How much better? These sins of yours they cannot abide in the presence of the righteousness of Christ. They must flee away. God's law cannot see both in the one person. God sees you. God knows you. God understands you. He hears you when you confess your sin. He knows when you bemoan your unworthiness. And when you stagger under your doubts. He knows the struggles that you have with idols and with temptations. He knows the fights that you have with worldliness and distraction Even around the coming season we're not free of these things. And yet do you know what God does? He counts you as righteous in his sight. He imputes righteousness to you. He refuses to condemn you. In fact he looks and offers this by way of a description of you. Oh the blessedness. Says God. Of that man, that woman, that child. The blessedness. Their iniquities are forgiven. Their sins are covered. And I will never impute their sin to them. Instead. I impute. The righteousness. Of Christ to them. Without works. Freely. This is what blessedness. Really means. And that's where our sins have gone. May he bless his word. Let us pray. Lord, we thank thee indeed that there is such truth that dazzles us in thy word. Such amazing, astonishing things that we would never have dared to believe could be true let alone are true and are given not by the ingenuity of men but by the plain speaking of scripture it stands on the face of the text these wonders O lord we thank thee for them we thank thee that there is forgiveness thou dost put away our sins that there is a covering for our iniquities we thank thee O lord that thou wilt never thou wilt not impute sin and we thank that thou wilt rather impute to us the righteousness without works of Christ alone oh our blessed saviour has done all things well and in his name we pray for forgiveness and that we might be heard Amen Well, our closing psalm of praise is in psalm number 85. Psalm number 85 from verse 1 to 7, five stanzas. The psalm is titled, The Chief Musician, a psalm for the sons of Korah. O Lord, thou hast been favourable to thy beloved land. Jacob's captivity thou hast recalled with mighty hand. Thou pardon thy people hast all their iniquities. Thou all their trespasses and sins hast covered from thine eyes. Psalm 85 then, (coughs) 1-7. O Lord, Thou hast been. been are the intimations. The cut session has now been constituted. If anyone wishes to come forward to the Lord's table for the first time in a profession of faith, please speak to one of the elders and the session will arrange to meet with you. Similarly, if anyone has a disjunction certificate or is visiting and is a member in good standing of another congregation or denomination, then please speak to an elder but sitting at the table with us. The service tomorrow, 25th March, is at 7 p.m. Please note 7, not 7.30 tomorrow. On the Lord's Day, 26th, 11 a.m., at which the Lord's Supper will be dispensed. The evening service at 6.30 p.m. And then a Thanksgiving service on Monday at 7.30. And I understand also a fellowship after the evening service to on Sabbath. Please also remember that the clocks go forward this weekend just to keep us right, come the Lord's day. He's all God willing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost, rest on and abide with you all, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.